going to be back in Luke today, Luke chapter 9, if you want to start flipping over there. And it's, uh, I think, providentially a New Year's sermon. And I want to start out with a strange illustration, or, or com- I don't know what we call this thing at the beginning. There are two primary problems I see Christian people have when it comes to Scripture. Number one is they don't read it. You ever meet people like that? You could probably relate, right? They just don't read Scripture as they should. It's, they're busy, life is distracting, it's hard to concentrate, so they don't read Scripture. The other problem, listen closely to this one, because this will mess you up a little bit, are people who read the Bible a lot, but don't read a lot of the Bible. Follow me there? So they may read parts of it, but, it, but if you ask them to tell you about Habakkuk, or Malachi, or Numbers, they, they struggle with it because they don't know the context. They read the Bible a lot, but not a lot of the Bible. I'm not picking on anyone. I'm hoping to encourage all of us together. Why does this matter? Well, it's what our text is all about. I'll give you a couple examples. Who knows Philippians 4.13? Are we got one? So a couple people should know Philippians 4.13. Amen? Here's the follow-up, harder question. What does it mean? First of all, what does it say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know that one? But the question becomes, what does that mean? In the flow of Philippians, in the flow of all of Scripture, I can do everything, like I can steal from Renee and still be saved. I can jump off a bridge and live. I can obey everything God calls me to perfectly. What does it mean? There's a context. So see, some people don't know the verse. Some people don't know the verse in context. You guys following along with me? Let's have a little fun today. It's the end of the year. Matthew 7, 1. Who knows it? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Who knows that? Well, what does that mean? Like, don't judge each other? Because, see, later on, Jesus tells us to judge with right judgment. So, so how do you first hear the Lord in Matthew 7, 1? And how do you understand the Lord in the context of Matthew, in the context of all of Scripture, so you know what he means? You guys having fun with me yet? Deuteronomy 29. Now, I know nobody knows Deuteronomy 29, right? Y'all, y'all are thinking, well, wait, wait, pastor, someone's going to impress me. Pastor, I know it's when the covenant is renewed at Moab. What's significant about that? Why, why does that matter? How does that point us to Christ? And here's what I'm after. Here, here's what we're driving at today. What's faith? Renee told me last week I have traumatized and terrified our church family every time I ask a question because everyone thinks it's a trap. Nobody wants to touch it. I apologize. I'm not that scary of a person. I love you all very much. So what's faith? Faith is, Hebrews 11.1 tells us, the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Amen? How else could we define faith? How about this? Believing what God says simply because he said it and basing your whole life on it. Believing what God said simply because he said it and basing your whole life on it. Tracking with me? So, who here knows 
everything God says. How do you know if you're basing your life on what he says if you don't hear what he said? Pastor, what are you doing? Where are you going? I'm going to Luke. Chapter 9, 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it shatters him and he will, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. So while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. What's going on? On the next day, what day came before that? It's been a month, the transfiguration. They're at the top of the mountain. They come down the mountain. And as they come down the mountain after seeing behind the curtain of the kingdom, and the glory of God and the majesty of God shining through Christ, they're at a pinnacle of what is to come. They come down the mountain and there's a demon-possessed kid who's been slammed around and the disciples can't heal him. Why can't the disciples cast out the demon? Anyone know? See, another question. Nobody wants to touch him, Renee. Why can't the disciples cast out? Is it a power issue? Is it a commission issue? It's a faith issue. My man! Stay off the wax. <laughs> it's a faith issue, which is exactly what Jesus says in the parallel accounts. He tells us, and I believe it's Matthew's account, the disciples say to him, why could we not cast out this demon? He says, because you have little faith. Go back to Luke 9.1. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 9.1? He called the twelve and gave them power and authority over what? It says some demons, right? Over the weaker demons, right? Over most demons? All? Like even this one that slams a little boy and puts him in water and fire and concusses him and causes him to foam? Perhaps one of the most severe demonic possessions we have in all of the New Testament, even that demon he gives them power over? So why can't they cast it out? Oh, you of little faith. God said it. That settles it. But the disciples are going, this one's too tough. This one's too scary. We can't do this one. Y'all relate? First, they forgot Jesus said, you can cast out all. He said it. Faith is hearing what God says, believing it to be true, and basing your whole life on it. They did not walk by faith, did they? Has anyone here successfully cast out a demon? Do not put up your hand. That will get really freaky, and I can explain why biblically. Do you know why, listen to this, do you know why we don't share the gospel? Jesus. You don't really think the gospel is going to save people. I mean, really? God saves you by himself, from himself, and to himself, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
All stand condemned on their own, but God, being both just and the justifier, came to save the unrighteous and make them righteous. That's really going to save people? God, please. Really? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation. We don't share the gospel because we don't believe that the gospel saves, which is what Jesus says it does. Amen? Do you know why there are so many malformed Christians? Do you know how Christians mature? Well, God tells us. And do you know what we say? God, seriously, just showing up and functioning in the life of a fellowship of believers, reading, meditating upon your word, memorizing your word, pointing one another to your word, loving one another, being loved by one another, that's how we grow. Have you met people? Really? You see, the hard thing, the joyful thing, the beautiful thing is we are saved by grace through what? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. But we're also sanctified by faith. I think I talked, I referenced Hebrews 11, amen? Hebrews 11 is a great chapter of people who trusted in the word of God when it seemed impossible that it would truly happen. He told a guy named Noah to build an ark before it had ever rained. Hang on this for a minute. Imagine you're sitting in a, in a drought that's gone on for, let's just say, oh, how about forever? And God says, go ahead and build an ark. I'm going to flood the whole earth. No one's going to live but you and your family. Who here will build the ark? Let's be honest, folks. Who here will build the ark? Let's say that, that the Lord said to Dorothy, you're going to have a baby. Do you think she's registering at Babies R Us this afternoon? <laughs> Let's say that, that God says to Renee, leave your house and just go. And she says, where? He says, I'll let you know on the way, pack. Is Renee packing? I don't know. But read Hebrews 11. I'm not making up stories. God commends the faith he gave to these people which they stewarded because when it seemed impossible that God was going to be right, they knew God was right because they had the gift of faith. My friends, faith is hearing what God says. It starts with reading his word, hearing his word preached, gathering with your brothers and sisters to study his word. You can try a workaround. It doesn't work repetitively, regularly, again and again and again, corporately, so we might rightly point one another to the truth of God's word. Otherwise, you get this. Who are you to judge me? Jesus says, judge not. Somebody needs to tell you, he says, condemn not is what it means. Don't condemn people, but love people. And if you're not judging, you can't tell me it's wrong to judge. See that? Tracking with me? He calls us to love, but we got to understand. Yes, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you in the context of what he means. Yes, the covenant at Moab is encouraging beyond belief, but you got to land the covenant in the context of what God is saying in Moab from Abraham through Moses and moving forward to Jesus. Amen? So who here has weak faith? Just me? What do you do with your weak faith? Feel bad about yourself. Punish yourself. Afflict yourself, wear a hair sweater, and get over it. Mature up, people. Go in peace, serve the Lord. 
No! You come to Christ in your weakness. Because Jesus delights in giving faith and strengthening faith. The disciples, they all messed up. Why can't we cast it out? So Jesus comes down, right? He calls the boy over. We'll get to this in a minute. The boy comes and gets thrown to the ground. You know they're like, see, we told you it was hard. Right? The father of the boy, though, I love, I love this man. You know his name? Nameless. Kind of like the dog classified, if you watch the news the last few weeks. Nobody, you know, the dog in the military raid, and the reporter said, what's his name? And they said, classified. <laughs> Y'all are a tough crowd. <laughs> anyway, that, rewind, stay focused. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. The father is nameless. And if you go to one of the parallel accounts, Mark, Mark 9, Matthew 17, Mark 9 are the parallel accounts. Why don't we just go there? Mark 9, verse 21. What do you do when you have weak faith? So Jesus said to the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. I love this. To Jesus. But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. If, if you can do any, hey, Jesus, God incarnate, if you can do, the, right? If Jesus, see, uh, Jesus should be like fixing a, no? What does he say? Jesus says to him, and I am sure he's smiling and maybe weeping a little bit as he says this. If you can, not a question mark, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. What does that mean, all things are possible? Talk about that another time. Immediately, the father of the child cried out. And he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Don't you love what this father does with his weak faith? Now, I don't have time to unpack this today. I could do it in a two, three-part sermon series. I do believe this father of the boy is saved. A variety of ways when you put in the, the context, he appears to have been made righteous by God. But he comes and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Religion says, do good for God, give him a good account of yourself and he'll bless you. The gospel says, God has blessed you and given you a good account. Now you are free to love and glorify him. Do you, do you see the difference there? Well, well, some people think this is faith is something that activates stuff to get what you want. So God, I obeyed all your rules. I did all the stuff. I showed up at church every Sunday. I doubled up my offering. Now, Lord Jesus, please heal my baby girl. That's not faith. That's manipulative prosperity gospel theology. You don't activate stuff by the strength of your faith. Do you understand that? How many times does Jesus say, I cannot heal you because your faith is not strong enough? 
Go ahead and read the gospel accounts and see how many times Jesus healed people in response to their faith. You'll be looking for a while. Faith doesn't activate God's favor. Faith is received by the favor of God being bestowed upon you in the gospel. Do you understand that? Then faith is, here's a fun little question. Who believes God created the heavens and the earth? Come on, everybody? Why do you believe that? Some people go, well, well, science shows it to be true. It does. But you want to know at a foundational level why it's true? Because it says, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. Hebrews 11.3, because God said it. Science proves it, but God said it. We take our weak faith to God. And we cry out to God to help us. We rejoice that Jesus delights in giving and strengthening faith. So the question is, where are you hearing from God but not trusting in God? And here's the thing as we head into the new year. Please read the Bible. Please study the Bible. Please gather with others to study the Bible. In particular, the reason we have Bible study in church is not because we're lonely. Yes, there's good relationships built through that. But y'all, we need one another to rightly understand the word of God. Memorize God's word. Who says I can't memorize God's word, right? Isn't that a struggle y'all have? Amen? Do you ever wonder why you could remember music? Do you ever show up at a, a sporting event? Oh, say, and you're like, oh, what's next? You ever wonder how those things stick? You, you, know, you know your birthday? How'd you... The trick is, don't try to memorize it specifically. Read it again and again and again. Put it in context. Trust in it. Rejoice over it. Pray about it. Write it on a card. Carry it with you. It'll stick. Trust me. Read God's word. Let me grab the other side. Was that a person or a book? All right, we're good. Head count. Everybody's upright. We're good. Make sure you're reading all of Scripture. You see, we're pretty good at reading most of the New Testament, but we tend to skip Revelation, right? We read, Gen- you ever try to read through the Bible in a year? You get halfway through Exodus, and then you just can't go on. Who's tried that? Anyone here ever worked their way all the way through 1 Chronicles 1 through 10? Anyone memorize that? It's God's Word. Listen. Trust him. Read it. Give him his time entrusted to you and see what he does. There's no seven-minute abs version of Bible reading. The goal isn't to master scripture. It's to allow scripture to master you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Do you want to know how you know the will of God? You let the God of the will to transform you from the inside out. Because the trick is we live by faith. It's not like you're going to look in here and God says, oh, yeah, here it is. Yeah, wait, wait, yep. In Job 31, do not take the job in Savannah, but stay where thou is. You're not going to find that in the Bible. 
But what you will find is by principle and precept in fellowship with other believers, God delights in strengthening our faith, empowering us to walk by faith. Let me put this back end thing on a little bit here. The other thing you do to strengthen weak faith, and remember, we're rejoicing that we have faith. Do you understand how you get faith? It's a gift of God. So here in Luke 9, we're, we're after, we're fighting after enjoying God, knowing God better and enjoying him for his glory. That's what we're after. We're not after earning God's favor to get stuff out of him. We're about stewarding what God has entrusted to us so we might know him and live well for his glory. And here's where you go. Jesus says to the Father, give me your son. He sends the son who gets thrown down and it looked like he was dead. Amen? If you trust Jesus with what is most precious to you, family, work, finances, reputation, kids, and you trust and wait, don't give up too soon. You trust and wait. It might look like it's going to go bad, but if you just trust and wait, if you look to the transfiguration, if you look at what is to come, if you look at who Christ is, you will see that he will care for you perfectly. Give me your son. You killed him. Master, why did you wait if you knew Lazarus was going to die? You could have saved him. God's ways are always perfect and true. Amen? If we would simply trust the word of Christ, even with what is most precious to us, oh my, because see, here's what happens. When what is most precious to you becomes threatened, you become traumatized. And if it's taken, you become a mess. You might even become suicidal. God, I can't live without this person. I can't live without this job. I can't live without the approval of others. I can't live with all these bills. I can't live without my kids. Stop. Because all you need is Christ. But can you trust him with those things, knowing that he will care for you and them perfectly as you steward them according to his word? So if we back this all the way up. Verse 1, he called the 12. He said, I give you all power over all the demons. He left all but three of them down and he went up the hill mountain. Jesus and the three come down the mountain, and you know Peter, and James, and John, they know what's going on. They're going to these guys, we can't tell you yet, but you have no idea who this guy really is. You, you, you have no idea. You think you know, but you have no idea. What's wrong with you? He said you could cast out all the demons. Just trust him. Heal him and trust him. But, but they can't tell this because Jesus said, don't go telling him yet. So Jesus taught these men a lesson whom he loved dearly, whom he had made righteous by grace through faith. And the lesson was this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So here's the question. Here's the wrestle. Here's the opportunity. And honestly, I need you to answer seriously. You don't have to answer out loud, but answer seriously. 
Do you really want to glorify God? I mean, really. Do you really want to enjoy God? Do you really care if you obey God or not? Or are you okay with complacent, comfortable Christianity? Yeah, I was wondering years ago, why pastors always smile like this? You ever notice that? You ever meet a pastor? They're always like this. It's just like this weird, smiley stupor. And I always want to like, make them angry. I want to see emotion. It's like, pastor, I just shot your dog. Oh. You see, here's what happens. I'm convinced. The world, the flesh, the devil, they distract God's people so badly that we functionally just coast through life to the devil's delight, not stewarding what God has entrusted to us. And we can get to the point of, oh, our neighbors are going to hell. Who cares? Oh, uh, you can't serve both God and money. Oh, well, you know, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. I'm saved. You, you can't know the will of God apart from the word of God. Oh, sure you can. I prayed about it and felt peace about it. And little by little, I think pastors end up in this position where they're just, I can't deal with it. I'm going to smile. No, we're not going there, folks. Because here's the thing, it's a battle. These disciples lived with Christ for three years. And for those entire three years, Jesus, by the time he got to that, remember Peter, Peter's up on the mountain at the year and a half mark, sees the glory of God shining through Christ. Fast forward a little over a year, and what's he doing? I never met the guy, don't know the guy, no, no, no. It's like, woohoo, Petey Pete. Remember David, Psalm 51, a man after God's own heart. Right? A little Bathsheba problem. A little murdering problem. A little lying problem. Man. Here's the beauty of it, folks. Here's where you start. God's people is messed up people. And until you understand how messed up you are, you can't see the beauty of God putting you back together in the image of Christ. Until you understand God's people are some incredibly weak people, you will never know the strength of God. Until you see how dumb you is, you'll never know how smart God is. Until you realize that you can't steward what God has entrusted to you without making a giant mess, but he will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, your life will be a hot mess. But if we will bring our weakness to God because we know who we are in Christ, we're not trying to impress God and earn his favor. We're crying out to God as those who have received his favor. I believe, but help my unbelief. Apart from the word of God, you cannot have faith. Did you know that? I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Apart from the word of God, there is no way for you to steward the faith you've been entrusted with. Because faith is hearing what God says, believing it to be true, and basing your whole life on that. Do you know what the marker of a saved person is? They desire to hear what God says. They trust it to be true. And little by little, they base their whole life on it. No excuses. We call, instead of excuses, we repent and confess. We don't say, Jesus, listen, the Bible's boring. It's like, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what pastor's talking about. I don't know, were you messing with people when you gave us First Chronicles 1 to 10? 
yada bagat, yada bagat, yada bagat, yada bagat. Sounds like chickens after a while, right? God, have you ever read some of these Psalms? They're confusing. Revelation, I mean, Jesus with a sword out of his mouth, riding on a horse, doing weird, like, that's what y'all think inside, amen? But what if we stopped listening to ourselves and the world and the devil, and instead of making excuses, said to God, Lord, I'm messed up. Scripture's your word, your very word spoken to us. And there's something wrong with me because your word is not more precious to me than gold, even much fine gold. I don't delight in your word. I delight in Netflix. I don't delight in your word. God, I am messed up. Would you help me, God? Would you help me to do what I can't do on my own and just start there? Start with trusting God in what you know. What, what does God call you to that you know? And are you trusting him in it? No excuses. Confession and repentance. Are you trusting him in it? You see, I fear if I was with the, the nine disciples left behind, the nine apostles, and Jesus cast out the demon, the follow-up would be like this. Well, you, you don't understand. You didn't teach us right. No, 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 Jesus, you didn't equip us right. It's not my fault. It's your fault. As opposed to, wow, Lord Jesus, I I doubted your word was true. But I'm saved not because of the strength of my faith. I'm saved because of the strength of the object of my faith. Lord Jesus, help me to trust in you. Isn't that a marvelous gift that we have? Hebrews 11:6. without faith, it's impossible to please God. Forever would draw near to him, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek after him. You got Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You got Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. You got Sarah, received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Remember Abraham? He went up on a hill and considered that God was able even to raise his son from the dead. My friends, how great a cloud of witness. How about Moses, verse 24? When he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then you go to 12 of Hebrews Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what's going on in this passage. Back to Luke 9, we'll land the plane. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Do you ever catch that term, only child, in Luke's gospel? Remember the widow of Nain, her only son? Remember Jairus, his only daughter? See, there's a compassion in Christ. 
Behold, the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. And, and this is so sad. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Someone dealing with traumatic affliction and trauma, coming to God's people who have the ability to help relieve the affliction and trauma, but are unable to. Why? Because they don't have the strength of faith. They don't believe they can do what God says they can do. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Side note, that uh, Deuteronomy 29 passage, that's where that comes from. Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. My friends, if we will, this comes right, right in the, the back end of the transfiguration. In all three gospel accounts it's in. And there's a reason for that. If we will look to the reality of who God is and who we are before him, especially as those in him, we are perfectly positioned to trust in him. First, for salvation. Do you truly believe, Psalm 51, that in sin was I conceived? Do you believe that you came out broken? Do you believe that you were born in sin, a sinful heart, without a desire to glorify God, but rather to glorify yourself? Do you understand that in that position you stand condemned by God? And do you understand that Christ came the righteous for the unrighteous to save sinners from himself, by himself, for himself, living the perfect life they were required to, dying the death they deserve and rising three days later so that his people can live by resurrection power as new creations. Do you believe this? Do you hear this? Do you know that it's true? And do you base your whole life on this? That's evidence of saving faith. The evidence is ample. We can look to our own lives. We can look to, to the evidence that surrounds Scripture. But it's true because God says it. And then as those who are truly saved and remember this good news of great joy that is the gospel, do you steward the life entrusted to you for the glory of God as you hear from him and trust in him as you follow him? You see, there are so many conversations to be had at this point and they are so difficult to have in the cultural context we have. How do you disciple people in five-minute bumps once every two to three weeks? It doesn't work. But what would happen if little by little we trusted God even in what we know? We stewarded the time, the talent, the treasure he entrusts to us as we know he calls us to. Even when it looks like if we did, it would go horribly, horribly wrong. What if, take kids for example, I think the greatest idol in Chester County. What if rather than, than parenting our kids the way the world told us to, we parented them the way God told us to? Do you really think they'd end up messed up? Could it be the world might be wrong? What about vocation? Perhaps another great idol in Chester County. What if... We stewarded our vocation as God called us to, as opposed to tending it as an idol that'll give us security, comfort, peace, and joy. 
What, what about finances, the third rail of Christianity? Don't touch it. You know why we're so all consumed with them? Because we don't understand what they are and why they're entrusted to us. What would happen if we stewarded the finances God entrusted to us as he calls us to? Basic principle, regular, sacrificial, and generous. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. That doesn't work. No excuses. Confession and repentance. What would happen if we stewarded the gospel as God called us to? If we stewarded caring for one another as God called us to? If we stewarded the church? You want to know a little side note? Funny little side note, not ha, 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 interesting should be the word. When you go to uh, see a movie, do they call it a movie service? Sound ridiculous, wouldn't it? You go to a football game, do they call it a football service? You go to the dentist, do they call it a dental service? But when you come to church on Sunday, do you know what it's called? A worship what? Why? Do you ever wonder why it's called a worship service? You see, I I think, in our Western context, we think it's supposed to be called a worship consumption. You come, you you typically have a, a worship team. It's called a concert. You sing karaoke with them. You consume a sermon. And you get out of here. Jesus said, I came to serve. Right? Do you know why it's called a worship service? It's an opportunity for us to worship God as we serve one another, serving the Lord who came to save us and serve us. What if we slowed down, turned down the volume of the noise of the world, turned up the volume of the word of God. Perhaps if we were in the shoes of the disciples and a man came to us with a demon-possessed son, we would remember the words of our Lord not too long before when he said to us, I give you all power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And we would look at that and go, you know, I'm not seeing how this works out, but I know what God said, and I'm going to trust it to be true. Now, friends, we're on, the, we're on the wrong boat to cast out demons and heal diseases. You are not uppercase A apostles. The, the, the time of, of, of the, the healing gifts of the apostolic ministry is past, but my friends, here's the thing. How often do we live in the midst of hurting people, either in the, in the church family who need to be pointed more fully to Christ, or even more so outside the church family who don't even know Christ. But we don't believe that the gospel is the power of God to save and to sanctify. See, life isn't really about I, me, my. It's about he, him, and you. And if we pivot that and walk by faith. So full circle, land in it here. Some people don't read the Bible. That's the larger group. And the devil loves that, and the world distracts it. And listen, as your pastor, can I be totally honest with you? It's hard to consistently read your Bible every day. Now, it's easier when you're preparing a sermon because there's an accountability. There's a joy in it. Don't misunderstand. But I don't get to show up so easily on a Sunday and be like, yeah, you know, there was some good football on this week, and, and I was up late and having a good time. I just never got to study, and sorry. 
But there's a corporate aspect where we need to do this for one another's well-being. So what I do, I get up early in the morning, and I stick some earbuds in my ear. And I open up my, my Bible app, and I put my Bible in front of me, and I push play on what I'm reading, and it helps me stay focused on what I'm doing. And I've done this for a wee little while now. And it becomes a habit over a while. And some days are marvelous in what you unpack in Scripture. And other days are like, what did I read? Man, am I tired today. But year after year after year, you see the effects of the beauty and the joy of the transforming work of God's Word. Please, please, please don't not read God's Word. But as we care for others, or maybe this is you, please don't be the person who says, all I do is read Scripture. Listen, Paul read more than Scripture. Yes, read Scripture, but don't read parts of Scripture, read all of Scripture. Said as I started, there are people who read Scripture a lot of the time, but don't read a lot of Scripture, if you know what I mean. And it's usually people who will drop Bible verses on you and impress you. They'll be like, well, who knows what Galatians 2.20 says, you know what it says. And you're like, wow, how do they know that? Who knows what Philippians 4.13, I don't even know where Philippians is. How do they quote that? Stop, listen, listen. Don't just read some of the Bible, read all of the Bible so we can understand what all of the Bible means, amen? And care for one another in light of this. Trust, trust God with what you know because of who you know God to be and who you are in Christ. So what is faith? Faith is believing what God says is true and basing your whole life on that. Before we close, does anyone have a disclaimer where God has let you down? God has proven to be a liar or God has shown himself to be not what he says he is? Just to make sure we're covering our bases. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to realize how quickly and easily we doubt you? How quickly and easily we trust in ourselves? And how much joy we miss? How many opportunities to glorify you, to love others, to care for others, to be cared for by others, we miss because we don't marvel in truth. Lord Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. As we move back into Luke, and we've had nine chapters demonstrating for us beyond any shadow of a doubt. In Luke's letter, he wrote to his dear friend Theophilus that Jesus is the Christ, that we can have certainty concerning the things we have been taught, that you, Lord Jesus, are God incarnate, that you came to save the world, that you are a God of compassion and grace and mercy, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will care for us perfectly, that you will provide for all of our needs, that in you is found life and joy forevermore, that, Lord, as we deny ourselves, as we take up our cross daily and follow you, we will be a people who abound in joy and hope as we walk in the faith that you've entrusted to us. So, Lord Jesus, we ask your forgiveness and we rejoice that we are forgiven by you, our advocate. We ask, Holy Spirit, for your strength so we might not doubt but believe. And we ask, Father, that we might 
steward well this position that we have of in Christ as we live for your glory. Father, may we steward your word well, but more importantly, may we rejoice in the God of the word, knowing that it is not by how well we live that you are pleased with us. It is by the finished work of Christ that makes you pleased with us and gives us the ability to enjoy and glorify you forever. Lord, may we do so by your power as we walk according to your word for your glory. In your holy and precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.